Hello and welcome to Coffee and Consoles, the show where we take a look at some of our favorite songs, and hopefully yours too, and talk about them from the engineering side and the musical side. I'm Kevin with my co-host John, coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee, in this time of staying home together. Today, the tallest man on earth, where do my bluebirds fly? Well, that is some tricky finger picking there. Yes, indeed. I'm kind of I'm I'm working on it. I don't usually use a thumb pick, but I decided to try to you know be authentic and go for it with the thumb pick here. Ah, very good, very good. It sounded great to my ears. Oh, thanks. I I felt like I'm I'm slowly getting there. Like I, I don't do a lot of you know the acoustic finger style stuff all that much, but I kind of go through phases. So. That's right. And so fun as, little project to work on, learning that tune. Well, we have the time. Yes, we the, do indeed. As we're stuck indoors, we have the time. So as our normal listeners will know, now is the part of the show where John and I like to catch up and just talk about random things or the or the roast per se with a toast to the roast, you could say. Exactly, a toast. To the Rose, and we have a nice little theme song, but it's going to be a little diff- difficult to play this this week because John is currently tuned to G minor, open G minor. Open G minor. Here we go. A toast to the Rose. <laughs> what a chord. What chord is that there at the end? I think that was technically a G minor six. Uh, it would have been better just to play all the open strings. No, I liked what you did there. Gave it some style. There we so go. what have you been doing in this time of, of quarantine for the world? Yeah, well, um, like I just texted you about an hour ago, I was, at the checkout line at the grocery store, uh, my wife and I are trying to do uh, as limited grocery runs as possible. So we just do a bulk shopping spree and try to get enough to last us for about another two weeks or so, which uh, we've been doing pretty good. I think the last time we ran out to the grocery store was like, it was almost two weeks ago. It was like 11 days ago or so. So, so trying to limit the exposure that limit, is exactly yeah. Limit the time going doing. out. Yeah. <laughs> Which ironically, today is our day to go to the store. So that's what <laughs> we'll be doing right after this. Nice. <laughs> we are. We did decide, and by we, I, I mean I had the idea, and I asked my wife if she wanted to do it. She said yes. We're gonna we're gonna pick, you know, a couple countries every week, and we're gonna we're gonna just gonna try to make dishes from those countries. So I think okay. I think, yeah. I think we're going with an Indian dish this week. Cool. Never made Indian food before, so that's going to be an experience. Yeah, yeah, fun little culinary project while we have the time. Oh, de- yeah, definitely it is. So, I mean, if you can find the ingredients, you know, it can make the best of the situation, and you know, that might experiment be the with recipes part. and such. Yeah. So, yeah, things are things are going well here. You know, I don't I don't have much to complain about really. I was just telling you that me and my uh, buddy who moved in have been playing a lot of like duo acoustic stuff i have like a little setup for my in my studio for it <laughs> very cool we, 
We might do it. We might do a live stream, which would be like the most overproduced live stream in the history of live streams. But you know, it might be worth it just for some fun. I say, go for it. Hey, you know what? If you we do it, it we'll uh, <laughs> we'll put it out on the uh, Coffee and Consoles Instagram for anyone who wants yeah. to tune in. Which, speaking of which, I think we have a little. Uh, we put out a little preview. Of course, by the time this episode comes out, it would have probably maybe be about two weeks ago now we put out a little uh, preview video of myself trying to learn this damn tune <laughs> john so what, what makes this song so hard to learn so um do you want to get into it now we Just can a, get into it yeah. an abbreviated toast of the roast but that's all right yeah i was going to say um i am having some more delicious blue bottle coffee ah very good and i am still on my Plug, plug. Keurig. <laughs> mm. uh, it's the second bag that my wife got me for my birthday. If anyone at Blue Bottles listening, please, we'd love to be a sponsor. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. But this is a, a very musically appropriate blend called Giant Steps. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little uh, darker blend. It's a pretty heavy-bodied. As you can say, it's a little fudgy. It has some substance to it. Does it have like that the dark caramelization of the beans, where little chunks of it have have blown off and? No, like no, it's not that darkly roasted though. Okay. So yeah, it's a uh, you know ultra balanced, a little dense, a little chocolatey. Uh, it stands up to cream pretty well. Very good. So and uh, usually I like to have a little bit of half and half with my just a splash, not yeah. too much. No, no, I, I it always makes it. Do you hate it? I don't know. It's a small little pet peeve when, you know, you're at the coffee shop and someone has their cup and they're filling it up with half and half and they just keep pouring that thing into the cup. Like it's like <laughs> it's like half of its cream. I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, I will I will have to admit this. A little embarrassing. But when I was not a coffee drinker, I used to work at an amusement park. And it, I, would, I would have to get up very early because it was like an hour and a half away from my house. Don't oh ask me God. why. I even, yeah, don't even oh ask me why I work there. <laughs> so I would stop at Starbucks on the way, but I couldn't afford any money. Like or I couldn't afford any of the drinks because I didn't make any money hardly. Sure. And so what I would do, because I wanted like a white chocolate mocha, but I couldn't afford a white chocolate mocha. So I would get a white chocolate Americano. Yep. <laughs> and then just take the half and half and there pour you go. like half of, half of it <laughs> in, in the drink. But now I don't, to get back to your point, I don't even really notice because I don't use cream anymore. No, so, no, you're a uh, black only. Yeah, I just drinker. get my coffee and I, I just you know I I f off somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you could say that. Just leave. <laughs> Give me my so, coffee so I can f out of here. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh my gosh. The quarantine is getting to my brain. I know, man. It's uh, we do get a little stir crazy, but hey, you know. We're all in the same boat, right? Oh, certainly, yeah. certainly. Yeah, we hope everyone out there's, you know, staying safe, doing well, staying home when possible. That's right. It's yeah. a very important to stay home. So we hope these uh, episodes may be a nice little solace, you could say. Yeah. And if you haven't, if you haven't done so, please go and listen to the tallest man on earth. Where do my bluebirds fly? I know this is kind of a pick that. I would be willing to wager most of our listeners haven't actually heard. Well, I will admit this was new to me. So uh, this is, I think, the first choice that we've done that I did not know of, yeah, the, well, th- of the song or the artist. 
our yeah, our other selections have been very very popular. Yeah, you know, pretty standard. Tracks. Yeah, you know your kind of classic rock tracks and such. And, but uh, I think it's funny. Like on the exterior, you come across as a very you know muscular, like hard rock guy. You know, like give me my <laughs> ACDC, give me my Marshall stacks. But on the inside, Kevin. You have a you have a little soft spot for the uh, kind of indie acoustic kind of folk side. I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I love the folky <laughs> duo acoustic stuff. Uh, I actually used to play in like a little like duo acoustic thing. That's right. Back, uh, back in my day. What was the name again? Uh, I don't think we a- ever actually had a name. Oh, we only played like five shows without a name. Well, they could, yeah, because like we would just like show up at like a coffee shop and like start playing, right? <laughs> just, so, just unannounced. Yeah. yeah, unannounced. No, we were announced, but I, I think, I think we, we just went under our names. Yeah, nice. like you know, we, we didn't have like a, a duo name. So, uh, so yeah, I've always had a soft spot for that type of music. I yeah. don't know, and and this particular artist, uh, tallest man on earth, he is. I don't know if you watched a live video of this song, but I caught one of him in a like a radio station. Yeah. So, did you notice the flourishes that he would play in the beginning? Uh, yeah, a little bit at the yeah. He almost Holy did like cow. a little like. Um... Something like that. He kind of did almost like a little. He kind of set up the song. Yeah. Yeah. But. Well, you'll have to go back. Um, you have to go back because after that part, during the intro, he'll he'll throw in like I don't even know if they're sixteenth note or thirty second note rolls, but it's like like oh, almost yeah. like little banjo parts. Yeah, he's. I mean, you can tell he's accomplished. He's a, an accomplished finger stylist. You can say. Oh uh, yeah, he's. It's. I've I've had the pleasure of seeing him play live twice now, and he is. He is a talent. It's it's pretty amazing to watch him do this stuff live. Because when I first told John that we were doing this song, John texted me <laughs> and said, "Oh yeah, it sounds like there's two guitars in, yeah, in the first, intro yeah. there." <laughs> and I was like, "No, John." <laughs> Good it was because uh, I you had mentioned him. Like I don't, I didn't recognize the title or the artist. So like, okay, I'll check it out. So I was just on my cell phone listening to it. Of course, you know, there's no stereo panning like imagery right. at all. So just listening to it, I'm like. And as we'll kind of get into, like later on, kind of finding out that this was kind of a home recording. So there's, it's not the clearest of quality. It's a horrible, <laughs> like as far as technical quality goes, it's yeah. horrible. So kind of hearing it is so the the dissonances that are kind of in, inherent into the part, they kind of sounded enough like two different tracks, like that kind of natural chorus that you'd kind of get between, you know, laying down a part twice. But there's going to be those right. natural, like, you know, uh, transients that are a little off. So that's what I thought I was hearing at first. And then, you know, I listened back again, you know, with some better speakers. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, I see what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and I've, I've tried to learn this song to play just for my own fun, and I have never succeeded. It's, um, yeah, this is, would be a type of, song that you have you almost have to go through yeah you have to work backwards in a sense you have to okay to get here i first have to go back to maybe like even all the way back to like a you know merle travis tune or an easier chet atkins tune yeah um because you have to kind of set up the some of the basics in the right hand to be able to 
work out. You know, if you just started this tune never having done finger picking before, or even with a thumb pick, which I'm not that comfortable with a thumb pick. I don't usually use it that much, but I'm trying to right. for today. You know, trying to give my all with the, the finger picking <laughs> here. But you almost have to, yeah, go back through the history of other fingles, uh, bleh, fingle, finger style fingles. guitarists to kind of build up to build it. So you're kind of setting yourself up to having a foundational technique to be able to jump right. into something like this. It's funny you said that because I was actually just thinking today, like, man, you know, I should really just go back to the basics of finger picking and like build up, build up my my repertoire slowly and then then go back to learn this. The other part that makes it hard to learn is that it's in open G minor, which just like is a pain to tune your guitar to. Yes. And I don't know if this is a small point of pride, but I discovered the tuning like on my own without Googling Ah, or something like that with the help of that live video of him in the studio. Or the yeah the radio station like okay yeah. okay he's doing this hammer on here so this string has to be th- tuned to this in relative to this string okay okay so it finally got there and funny enough like it's in you know we can talk about the open tunings a little bit later but I've been watching some other YouTube videos of a uh, a local guitarist here um, Tom Bukovac he's uh-huh. a big time session player you know more of the electrics you know guitar side but been around for the past about two decades now if i'm not mistaken but he's uh during this whole you know kind of stay at home period that everyone's in he's kind of been uh posting these daily videos on youtube called his uh corona diaries i think and he's just just you know a random thing every day like talking about you know like playing fast or like this suspended chords but one was on a open g tuning just open g major tuning Uh which is more common than you would think for a lot of session players you know if you're laying down multiple tracks especially probably for acoustic if you want to do certain get certain sort of um, voicings that are pretty hard to do in a standard tuning but so this is taking that and just making it open g minor <laughs> so for those who may not know to get to here your sixth string has to be tuned down a whole step so that's now a low d your fifth string has to be tuned down a whole step as well, so that's an open G. Your fourth string stays the same, open D. Your third string's the same, open G. So we just basically repeated yourself. D, G, D, G. And so then open G major tuning, you keep the second string the same as B. And then your first string is tuned down another whole step to a D, so you have D, G, D, G, B, D. But he took that one step further and lowered the second string to a, would be a B flat, so you have that open G minor tuning. But then he's not done there. He then (laughs) capos up at the eighth fret, which the higher up you go on the guitar capoing, which is basically, for those who don't know, like a clamp that you just place over the neck of the guitar. So now all the open strings, a little out of tune, but, or, you know, there we go. Um, Which has its advantages to some degree, because now the higher up you go on the, 
the guitar neck, you know, the frets are closer together, so you don't have as much of a distance. If you're like, you know, kind of, you don't have to spread your fingers out as much. Uh, but then it gradually it does get a little harder for the capo itself to kind of like, you know, the further up you go on the neck. You know, some guitars, like the neck gets thicker as well, so that makes it tougher for a capo. And mm -hmm. yeah, so it's, he's about there at the limits as far as like how high you could capo up on a, you know, acoustic. Yeah, neck. you wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to see anything higher than that. I mean, you have hardly no more room after that. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the ninth fret. That's probably the, the you know, <laughs> the <laughs> furthest you'll, you'd go. Yeah. That, that's that's up there for sure yeah. but um yeah well oh, we'll get there but yeah so that's kind of like this setup to this tune to you know you have to get into this tuning first and then there's the whole right hand finger picking challenge <laughs> right yeah. so a little bit about the tallest man on earth his yeah. name is Kristen matson yes he's only 37 years old he is a resident of sweden he was born in Dalarna. I think I said yeah, that right. I think so. Um, this particular tune was released in 2008 on the Shallow Graves record, and I believe he started his career in 2006. So, not this is one of you know you could say part of his earlier years. Although sure. Where the recording quality has gotten better over the years, he hasn't really changed much as far as style. Not yet. I mean, there are some songs that have more to them than just acoustic finger style, but it's still all within the same vein of kind of that indie singer-songwriter mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, and as, so as yeah, so it, in I guess like Shallow Grave, that album kind of you know got him you know on this you know got a spotlight on him, kind of introduced him to a lot of people. Like he'd even made it on the uh, Pitchforks. 50 best albums of 2008. So wow. he got some praise for that album, which, you know, for having only kind of been working as an artist for a couple of years at that point, that's pretty good. Oh yeah. yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sure he was probably as surprised as anyone. It's, it's weird though, because when you listen to interviews with him, he, English is not his first language. Interesting. He, yeah. He's yeah. writing in English and he can, he can speak it fluently, but you can tell that, he definitely has to think about what he's trying to say. So mm -hmm. add, in, add in that challenge when trying to write songs. I mean, it's pretty incredible that he's achieved what he has already. Yeah, yeah that, that is uh, pretty cool. And I like that, you know, his artist name, the tallest man on earth. And do you know how oh. tall he actually is? I think he's like 5'4 or something. Uh, not that, not, not that short, but 5'7". Uh, <laughs> And basically I mean, so, five four for those of us who are over six foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Might as well be five four. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know, of normal average height. <laughs> right there. So there is a there is a reference in another one of his songs called "The Gardener" about being the tallest man on earth. So for anyone who's interested, listen to that song and see if you can't figure out what he's trying to say. Yeah, you're telling title. me about that too, because I'm. As I said, I'm, I mean, he's new to me. I'm a, I'm a virgin when it comes to the tallest man on earth. But yeah, you're telling me about that tune, the garden. Yeah, it's, a, it's another good one. Maybe in a future episode, if, mm -hmm. if uh, this is well received, we will we will continue down this path. Although we have to be careful because you know there are lots of genres of music and lots of songs that we 
can focus on, so we yeah. can't focus on one particular artist too much. But well, yeah, we try to keep it interesting. Keep it interesting. Keep it interesting. Yeah. So when he uh, recorded the album "Shallow Grave," was that just a home recording? Yeah, and, and as far as I know, he's still recording in his apartment. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's just gotten better at it. You know what? <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. It's it's really, I mean, it's pretty obvious if you listen back to his earlier albums that, you know, this is a kid in his apartment trying to make a record. And but I think I think nowadays, even though he's still recording at home, I th- I think he might have it pro- professionally like mixed and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, at this point, be, I guess be smart too. <laughs> the quality the quality yeah. is definitely taken quite a few sure notches up but like i i mean you would never think you know being that i'm an audio engineer that i would you know kind of like the home recording stuff because you would think maybe it is taking some of my job away but i don't i don't (laughs) i don't think that's true at all he took your job he took my job by doing his own music no i i i think it's great that he recorded it at home and it was well received it's kind of it's kind of inspiring for for anyone who you know, I was looking at doing something similar. It seems very, very daunting, and it is, but it can be done. Yeah, it's definitely doable these days. And I don't. I almost think that there's a kind of like a threshold of if you know too much about recording techniques, and especially maybe went through school and took classes in an actual recording studio, and you worked with outboard gear and did a patch bay and all that stuff, like it puts you to a point where you think anything below that isn't worth it or isn't, you know, worth putting out as, you know, like, oh, everyone will be able to tell it doesn't sound good or something like that. Um, I almost think there's a degree of naivety that can be beneficial for if you're especially like a DIY musician or wanting to be your own artist and you just have a, you know, laptop and garage band and maybe have a USB mic that a lot can be done with just that. And as long as the uh, substance substance of the music is still there and, you know, has something, you have something to say that people will accept it. No matter if it sounds yeah. like you're in a, you know, closet or bedroom or what have you. Well, in this, the studio recording of this song, the live version of him at KEXP in Seattle, a radio station, that, that recording is, is very good. You know, the, Obviously, they have an engineer on staff. Yeah, um, they have nice mics. Yeah. yeah, they have nice mics, all, you know, whole nine yards. But the recording he did for the studio version, I mean, it, it's bad. Like like I said in the <laughs> intro, it's not a good recording. <laughs> no. It's, no, it's, it's a very bad recording. But it, it almost starts to sound like a slightly uh, downgraded, like, MP3 file. Like, it, there's some – it's not necessarily it's clipping, but there's almost like a – like, not – everything got fully captured. I wouldn't be surprised if I found out that he like recorded it to like an old, like, like tape recorder from like the nineties or something. Yeah. You know, like it kind of has that quality, but technical problems aside, it doesn't matter. The song is so good. I've always thought it was a beautiful song and I've always been able to see past the quality of the recording and then yeah. just enjoy the song. Which by the way, I don't really think we've mentioned the actual song we're talking about. Where do my bluebirds fly? I believe I mentioned it. 
You did? Okay. Um, I haven't been paying attention. You know. <laughs> well, you were you were focusing so much on trying to play that intro. You no missed kidding. everything I said there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a great tune, and you can. I mean, it's very catchy and immediately kind of, you know, perks your ears up, because even for those who may not, you know, who aren't musicians or guitar players, like there's enough of that playing there you can tell like oh this is there's something special going on like there's some ingenuity going on with the guitar playing that you don't normally get especially even within the kind of indie you know home studio side of things like it tends to attract a lot more like you know that might be talented or inspired like musicians but maybe they're not the greatest actual you know instrumentalists on a purely technical mm-hmm. level. It might still be yeah. you know, very creative, but you know, the technique might not be there. You know, the guitars are slightly out of tune or that sort of thing. But this is like the playing's there, even if the recording side of it, you know, is less than ideal, you could say. <laughs> so that brings me to a, a good point. And I'll ask you. Sure. Do you think home recording is a good or bad thing? It's it's honestly both because it allows more people to have that opportunity that they wouldn't have had, you know, 20 years ago. If that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking back to my high school days and we had a, a band and yeah, we would record some of our rehearsals, but that was, you know, this was a, a stupid high school band. Like we were like trying to be like a jazz band kind of fusiony but so we had like five horn players <laughs> and i was actually oh, i was actually playing trombone at that time but then you know we had drums bass and a, a guitarist as well so we're kind of trying to do like this whole like almost like a chicago horn band sort of a th- sound but but anyway so you know, just imagine all those instruments in our drummer's basement and so we just had you know one microphone connected to a you know tape recorder just to you know rehearse and you'll record back and see how the song sounded, that sort of thing. I bet you guys thought those recordings were so cool. I mean, it was cool to listen back to, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we're such kind of banders. We use those to kind of, like, critique ourselves, like, oh, see, like, like, when you're soloing over there, try to go for this note instead, like, you know, that sort of thing. Because our saxophonist, the kind of band leader, he was very much, I mean, he ended up going to Rochester, New York, for uh, music, uh, which he actually doesn't play that much anymore from what i understand but but anyway so it was a little different scenario than your typical like you know high school garage band who's you know just like that sort of thing could probably still work if you just had a you know tape machine with a microphone and you know pass it out to your friends but but -hmm. you know these days like most people have at the very least a smartphone that you could buy pretty affordable usb mics or you know mics that connect to the phone or let alone a desktop or desktop or you know, power book or you know, laptop that you can again like connect a usb microphone if you especially if you're just you know a solo artist thing or songwriter um like i think of like people like jacob collier who did his own thing mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken just like bedroom recordings and god he's like the one of the biggest names in the jazz scene now. 
Yeah, so you can you can achieve pretty amazing quality with not over the moon expensive gear. I mean, yeah. If if you went, I mean, and okay, so we're gonna exclude the computer, and we're just gonna exclude exclude the computer because that's usually the most expensive part. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's the the biggest. Kind so, of so assuming hurdle. you have a, a decent computer for like another like 1500 bucks you can you can get yourself a really nice mic a decent audio interface you know mic stand and some cables and you know you even have some money left over to do whatever yeah and, and you know you can, you can make a good recording that way definitely in you know i'm thinking you know 10 15 years ago that would have been about the same amount to maybe spend a like a weekend at a recording studio, if maybe if you had a, you know, if you're getting a good, decent deal and, you know, the guy who owned it also engineered it. So, because um, my, my old bands, that's basically what we'd save up for is like a couple thousand dollars to do a two, three day, you know, session to record uh-huh. a new album. And, you know, if you put that same money into, invest into some gear, then you could record all year round. <laughs> right. Which might actually take a negative effect on your productivity because if you're paying for three days and you have to do an album, you're going to come in there prepared. Yeah, that's the true. Yeah, the, you know. Yes, necessity is the mother of invention when it comes to (laughs) being on studio time. Yeah, so so these days, John, I feel like I'm interviewing you here, but why (laughs) why would you go to a a larger studio instead of like you could come here obviously and we could we could record all yeah. night long um I so think, why would you choose to go to a bigger place i think for probably a lot of people would be if you're wanting to have multiple people record at once if you want to get a band you know playing together at the same time you know drums bass you know a couple of guitars maybe keyboards or that sort of thing like most home studios probably aren't set up to be able to do that just from a space perspective just the physical space so that's probably the biggest reason to still want to go back into a recording studio like a traditional studio even if people like smaller home studios that you know they you know set up their basement and like you know soundproofed it and so you can still have you know multiple people record at once but that's usually about the that's the biggest reason still the biggest draw i think and outside of i imagine there's still a niche market for you know the bands who want to record on tape to be able to say they did that i mean we even did that with an old band that i was in (laughs) there's certainly a market for that but it's been my experience Whenever someone asks me to record on the tape, I pretty much just talk them out of it. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if that's uh, – it might be one of those things that other parts of the country, like you have larger niche markets of that that people, you know, they want to be able to kind of do that old school approach versus – I don't know, I think a lot of people like around here in Nashville, they start to become accustomed to the practicalities and the necessities that are kind of part of being able to, you know, get something recorded fairly quickly cleanly mm-hmm. and be, you know especially these days be able to edit it you know that is exactly right. auto-tune it you know quantize it so it's I, nice and polished for the radio because you know they think they're going to be the next radio star 
I find that it is the case a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time when someone asks to record a tape, they don't they don't truly understand what that means. So sure, yeah. Basically, if if someone's dead set on recording a tape, we can record a tape. But what's going to happen is we're going to dump it into Pro Tools after we get basic tracks. Yeah, for mixing so. and mastering. Yeah, and overdubs. And overdubs. Yes, especially for yes. overdubs. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, but, uh, I think I, I agree with you with the home home recording. I think it's a good and a bad thing. You do have the problem of there's a lot more people putting out content now so like you have yes. to get above the noise floor to, yes. you know, for anyone to listen to it the floor is a lot higher now <laughs> but like at the same time where there's also a lot more good stuff because there's a lot more people who can afford to do it yeah that's true I, and again it's that good and bad thing yeah basically it's like the internet you can find information on basically anything you want to but sometimes you have to kind of traverse through the crap to be able to find it mm-hmm so if you do want to kind of do your own home studio thing, do you, you know, do you need like a $3,000 U87? I don't know. To, you tell me. I don't think you do. <laughs> Probably not. If you I have think, the money, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you have the money, then if money's not an object, then why wouldn't you just get the top of the line everything? Yeah. But, but then, um, kind of thinking back to like for a, uh, the tallest man on earth, you know, when he was recording Shallow Grave, 2008, I mean, yeah, you had, you know, your Pro Tools and Logic, you know, DAWs at that point, but just, you know, the processing power, when we look back, you know, almost 12 years ago now, like, it's almost hard to think, like, oh my gosh, you know, but of course, at that time, if you had gotten, like, a brand new, you know, Granted, I don't know if he had this and maybe he didn't, you know, brand new Apple, you know, laptop at that point would have seemed like he had the, you know, the future was in your hands at the, you know, touch of your fingertips. You can mm-hmm. do anything. Yeah, you would feel so, so powerful. But know, now, like you know, you looking back on it, it's like, it almost seems arcane. <laughs> yeah, and our quality of manufacturing as compared to 70 years ago is much, much higher, much, mm-hmm. much higher. So I even had one of my mentors tell me like, you know, a $700 pair of speakers are better quality than what you would have had in, you know, the mid seventies. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't have been able to hear half of the stuff that you can hear now. And oh. it's just, it's interesting because we, every old, we always think of like the older stuff being better and sometimes it is, but mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the case. Like I firmly believe that if you do your research and and know what you want, then you know you can you can buy some some equipment that will get you a great sounding recording without having to mortgage your home again. Yeah, yeah. And I think like what you said, like the key pieces would be like a decent microphone, decent interface, and then you know depending on if you're on a PC or a Mac. I mean. If you're on a Mac, I can't imagine why, especially if you're recording your own thing, like as a solo artist or even within a band that you're just kind of recording piecemeal, can't imagine why someone wouldn't want to use Logic when it's 200 bucks and you get so much with it. Yeah, Logic is really great. Pro Tools, I have a love-hate relationship with Pro Tools. 
Yeah, it seems like a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's really, really good at some things, and it's just really, really bad at other things. So that's all I'll say about it. But Logic is Logic is very. I would highly recommend Logic yeah. or Cubase. Yeah, Cubase is another one, which you know would be for PC that works well, or mm-hmm. um, Reaper. I think Reaper's one. I've heard some Reaper. people, yeah, yep. like Reaper a lot. I think. Excuse me. I think you can get Reaper for free too. Yeah, I think that's yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 pretty good from what I yeah. understand. I've never used it myself, but I have friends who have, and they they love it. So, yeah. so all that to say, recording at home is certainly possible if you have an interest in that. I say go for it. Have some fun. Yeah. Lord knows I did when I was in high school. Oh yeah, same here. So, which actually would have been around the same time he was recording this. So <laughs> I was using Fruity Loops on an old PC with a M Audio Fast Track Duo, I cool. believe. I think it was like a, this like little like $200 like interface. And I was in way over my head. I had no idea how any of this stuff worked. I don't even know how I got convinced to buy it because it was frankly too much for what i was doing like i was just doing silly little guitar things and yeah uh so i spent a lot of time on forums and support calls trying (laughs) trying to make it all work but once once you get past that learning curve in the beginning you'll you'll quickly find that your home recordings can can sound great yeah i remember i had a an eye-opening moment when this might have been the late 90s so that's would have been high school for me is also I also had Fruity Loops on an old uh, PC desktop, and at this point, Fruity Loops was just a drum machine software program. Oh, nice! <laughs> so that kind of opened my eyes to like how people were, you know, starting to like program drums, like you know, you seeing that grid pattern of like sixteen rows representing four counts, you know, sixteenth subdivisions yeah the grid yeah I'm like oh this makes so much sense and like it, it was so i got really into fruity loops and and then you could export them as a wave file to get into uh i don't even remember what the uh program i had back then it was before before there was even you know garage band wasn't around yet it was like a pre it doesn't even exist anymore i can't even recall what it was it was like yeah <laughs> Funny how time passes us by. Yeah, man. Oh, my gosh. More than 20 years ago by that point <laughs> for me. Oh. So, yeah. So, yep. Home recording. I, I it's, personally it's, like it. I it's mean, great and, and funny it enough, a lot of major <laughs> artists just do the home recording thing now because, I mean, yeah. and granted, their home studios are like they have a console and a tracking room and sure, you know, yeah. It's whole nine yards, but, you uh, know, it's still a home recording. Yeah, I guess I guess it's not technically the same as what we're talking about, but like all that to say is, if it's good enough to record in their basement, then you can buy yourself a mic and by golly, record in your basement too. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. I agree. So, <laughs> so, what about this song, if anything, makes it interesting to you musically? Uh, so, one thing that came to mind that just randomly before I put the capo on is how different it sounds without the capo versus mm-hmm. capoing it up high. And it's one of those weird things that, you know, for most people's ears, like the key is relative. Like 
most people do not do not have perfect pitch. They don't hear a song and know that oh, that's in you know D major, that's in you know G right. G minor. But um, I think with such a drastic difference, like if I was to play the song like at a songwriter round, which this would be a really hard song to play at a songwriter round, but if I was going I, to the like, other songwriters would yeah, crap their pants. And, you know, say if I couldn't sing it this high or I just didn't have a capo. So this is the song without a capo. Just see how different it sounds. Uh, sorry. Ah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite dissonant, huh? Uh, it's actually harder to play too, because the strings, you know, being tuned down for most of them. Yeah, much looser, huh? Much looser, and so it's like, you know, f- picturing like a moving target. Like you have this thumb pick that you're trying to hit this vibrating string that's vibrating <laughs> much wider than it was when you capo it up. And shortening the length of the string so um, i just imagine this string like flying all over yeah (laughs) you're like trying to hunt it down yeah and then you know you move up to uh the actual capo position which puts it technically in the key of we're an e flat minor And that does help it a little bit. I mean, you still have to <laughs> work on the technique. So a little history lesson for like, so there's a style of playing that generally we call Travis picking. Have you heard that term before? I have not. So that goes back to the days of one of the old uh, classic, you know, cowboy singers of the, like the 50s and 60s, uh, maybe in yeah, I don't know if he came up in the 40s yet. Uh, Merle Travis. So Merle Travis, you know, he'd be you know, like, you know, those old school, like, you know, p- pull up on YouTube, like the black and white, like TV shows of the time when people play to the tracks, like, you know, mimed and, you know, like lip sync to the tracks. Because at that point, they probably didn't even have the technology to be able to like broadcast like audio and visual together and, you know, live. So everything was to <laughs> tracks, you know. Like all those old recordings from the you know forties and fifties that you might see and even right. into the sixties and so, um, but you know he Earl Travis, he plucked with a uh, a thumb pick which is like a kind of like a pick that wrap wraps around your thumb, and he played with his index finger. It's just like that pick on his thumb and index, and you just alternate it. But the uh, the idea behind the picking pattern was the thumb would alternate between two strings. I see where you're going. Yep. Sometimes it would alternate between three strings. And that just sets up your, basically your foundation to a tune. I mean, it's literally, it's kind of, to my mind, it's, 
an extension of the old ragtime piano playing, in which that's what the left hand would be doing for ragtime piano. You know, these like kind of like somewhat large leap, you know, bass ostinatos, basically. So the thumb's doing that while the fingers in the right hand, or your picking hand, whichever hand, are kind of supplying you with uh, the rhythm on top, or the, sorry, the melody on top. Uh, what's the next? Oh, yeah. So while all that's going, that's on the bottom of the... Yeah, that's, and for that's me, that's, that's what I always struggle with, is trying to keep yeah. that going. That's the tricky part, is you have to, while you can be very musical within this sort of a finger-picking style, there's very much like almost like a mechanical, like robot-like accuracy that's kind of the backbone of it, that constant thumb alternating. And there's you know, quite a few varieties. Sometimes people just keep the thumb on one string, you know, without alternating. But, um, mm -hmm. but that's essentially it. Um, so you can tell that he definitely, starting up when he picked up the guitar and learned it, like he got into that. And I found some like interesting quotes, that sort of thing, because, you know, many people, you probably have seen this too, like kind of compared him to like Bob Dylan, like his writing style, songwriting styles, like, you know, in the, in the vein yeah. of a Bob Dylan, I've seen that around. I don't like the comparison, though. I'll be, yeah. I'll be very honest. I, because I, I think one, I think he's a much better singer. I think he's a much well, better he's, guitar player. And that's true. But yeah, pretty much on both accounts. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, it's it's to me, it's just a lazy comparison because you're just oh, it's a guy who sings and, and writes interesting songs. It must yeah. be like Bob Dylan. Like I, I don't know. Well, I, I can get the uh, like what we were talking about earlier. The um, the garden tune, I think. Right. How that is kind of had the a fictional story about you know he like he kills the husbands to you know like it, that kind of like sort of a dark gritty sort that's of songwriting. True. That's that's I think the where the Dylan comparisons come from at least on some part. But um, he tries to like to downplay it and not even he almost kind of comes across as trying to say like. Um, like he slowly, tr at first, like he when he got into Dylan stuff, like he tried to get into the uh, idea, like where those songs came from, almost like the history of folk music, like American folk music, like mm. what you know, Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger. Um, but he doesn't <laughs> like consider himself like he's you know part of that tradition. Like he doesn't want to think of himself as like you know the next torchbearer of American folk. You sure. know, not like you know, probably say on the first name that comes to mind would be like an Eric Clapton who in you know to some degree or not kind of became like the next torchbearer of you know American blues music for better or worse um, even players like oh uh, buddy guy maybe or muddy waters kind of essentially told him that so uh it's a bit uh yeah tallest man on earth he doesn't want to consider himself like he's like you know yeah carrying on that tradition even though he probably came from it initially and you know he kind of learned some of that stuff and at least the 
some of the technique in the right hand, which also can, you know, can come from you know, any of the like classical guitar training that he had when he was in his youth. But he is, you know, he kind of said like, I never really got focused on it and, you know, kind of got bored playing guitar because it was like math. And then he uh, <laughs> got into uh, Nick Drake and kind of discovered the possibilities of open tunings in his like early 20s. And that's kind of what brought him back into uh, kind of being inspired by the guitar. And, you know, once you get into open tunings, like it does open up a world of like different sounds that usually aren't as possible to get in a standard tune guitar. Yeah, and, like you were saying, the voicings are just... Yeah, you get those more interesting voicings that are that can be both dissonant, but also with in the context of a fuller chord, are kind of cool. Like different voice motion within your inner strings that are harder uh-huh. to do with standard tuning. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's funny. It's like uh, he didn't like the math of the guitar, and then you get into open tuning and there is almost like more complicated math, but if you don't think about it, you just kind of start to play around with your fingerings. Like I think the idea with open tuning that is attractive to a lot of songwriters and certain guitar players is at the end of the day, you can just strum the strings and you have a good starting point. You know, that's a chord versus standard tuning. If you strum the strings, that's not really a, it's not a stagnant stationary constant chord. Metallica begs to differ. (laughs) <laughs> like a nothing else matters i mean certain yeah. certain combination of the open strings you get a nice chord but no yeah. you're, you're exactly right yeah but that's the idea exactly of open right. tuning you can you're, you're starting with uh oops, capo fell off there. you're starting Uh-oh. with a chord from just the open string so then you can just start to mess around with well if i place a finger here you know even it's kind of cool if i just play like a standard open d chord you get this sound mm-hmm. oh, weird. Is that some sort of augmented chord yeah and you know i could do the math and figure out what it is. It's you know. It's technically a. Well, I don't know what would be the best way to call it. It's something over something. But, but it's uh, easy to easy enough just to play basic shapes and come up yeah. with these complex sounds. Yeah, I think the trial and error becomes more fun when you're in open tuning versus standard tuning because you're kind of thinking about like, okay, well this, you know, like I think it's easier to hear like melodic motion because of that open tuning. And there's an old uh, kind of funny joke about uh, Joni Mitchell, you know, classic, you know, songwriter of her time, one of the greatest, I would say, in the past century. Uh, She would just write each tune in a different open tuning. It would be the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, the joke was they just did the same fingerings. But because of the different opportunities, it all sounded different. But, right, right. I yeah. think I think Mumford and Sons has that same joke. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's the same song. You just change the tuning of the strings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah, the, I have always found open tunings to be endlessly amusing. Yeah, to me, um, kind of like what you're getting at earlier with home recording. Like, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or open tuning is a good thing or a bad thing? Like, I'd have to say it's for me. It's kind a little, bit, a little, yeah, a little bit of both because the bad thing is like. Unless you have the money for like multiple guitars, I don't know how you would play an actual like show if a lot of your songs were in different tunings. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you would need three, four guitars. Yeah, unless you plan to you know retune your strings between each song and take about five minutes of time. Which when you're at a concert, like five minutes can seem like forever. That's an eternity. Yeah, both as an audience member, but also on stage. You know, like unless you have the wittiest banter in the world i mean you're not going to keep people's attention if you're going to be retuning you know between every song right Um, and And i think he i think he does travel with about five or six guitars yeah i mean i would imagine at this point i mean (laughs) i'm pretty sure the the times i've seen him i'm pretty sure because he he does play electric too where he'll do this style with electric so Mm -hmm. he has a 12 string electric which is a really cool sound that would be really cool so he'll have like this 12 string like semi-hollow electric and his six string semi hollow electric and then like four of the same acoustic guitars mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. and he even has a uh a batch for the united states and a batch for the european <laughs> oh nice stuff he's, so they're already there <laughs> he's, yeah he's like it's too much like i can't he's like i have one guitar that i take with me oh <laughs> it nice. just stays in either the states or europe <laughs> so you're exactly right um i wonder if he with his 12 string if he still keeps the the pairs of strings tuned you know to the same note or to the octave or if he i can hardly wrap my head around his open normal open tunings i don't even want to think about the weird things he could discover with 12 strings if you think of them as yeah not just six pairs but 12 individual strings like a couple old school uh uh country like early chicken pickers or western swing guys like uh I think Jimmy Bryant might have been one who would play an electric 12 string, except tune the doubled strings in thirds. So they would, it would be harmonized as he's playing his lines. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a lot to think about. But. I, I, I just, I can't. Um. Yeah. Take forever to tune. Oh, man. Yeah. So funny enough, um, my buddy Tom brought a 12 string with him. And it needs a little work to get fixed up, but we're just about to order strings today, so I'm gonna I'm gonna feel the pain of trying to <laughs> fix this 12 string and, and and get it all tuned up. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting for sure. Yeah. The action is like a half inch off the fretboard. Oh, yeah, I I don't envy that. Ah, <laughs> eh, we we want to do it. We got the time, you know. Yeah, just yeah, have not? fun. But <laughs> but to to get back to the the tallest man on earth. I highly, I highly recommend anyone who's kind of into the the folky singer songwriter stuff. Give him a listen. I, th- I think you'd really enjoy him. Although this isn't a podcast specifically geared towards helping people discover new artists, we hope that maybe you do. Maybe, yeah. Never heard of a band called ACDC? Maybe you should. There's this <laughs> great band that has made fifteen of the same sounding albums. That is one of my see. It, yeah. <laughs> you brought you brought up the point earlier where it's like 
I, I think you're right because, you know, I play hockey and stuff, and I, I, I'm not very shy about that fact. I talk about it all the time just because it's, it's something I really enjoy. So, like, people never assume that I, like, really enjoy folk music and, and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They think they think I'm just 24-7, like, metal. But actually, <laughs> ironically, I, I probably listen to this style of music more than any other style. I got you. I mean, it's easier on the ears. And it's, you know. That's true. For the and first, you know, part at least. If yeah. I've been at a show all day, I do not. I pretty much don't want to listen to anything with drums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, drummers. Getcha. Yeah, those are the hardest for uh, sound engineers, like live, live sound. You get tired of the drums quick. <laughs> well, it's not it's not necessarily the instrument's fault. It's just there's just so much power in the transient yeah. set. You just like you know you're taking the pounding all day long. You know. From the sound waves, so. Oh, uh, what you say there again? You, you're taking a pounding all day long. What's that? Yeah, yeah. What's that? I thought I thought you might pick up on that. <laughs> this is a family show, John. It is. It is. Yes. <laughs> well, my uh, friend, uh, anything else we want to talk about this tune? I have, not necessarily. Has the bluebird flown away? I think I think <laughs> it's flown the coop. I just wanted to encourage folks to. Uh, you know, try their hand at home recording if it's something they're interested in. Maybe try your hand at some open tunings. I mean, now's the time. It certainly right? is. Certainly is. We hope your everyone is is safe and healthy and yes, indeed. You know, limiting your trips outside of your your safety of your home. Yes, indeed. And uh, we will be here. We will probably uh, every week or every two weeks or so, providing you with the freshest and newest perspectives into a. Uh, your favorite songs <laughs> from <laughs> a musical standpoint and a recording standpoint. Well, I've been Kevin and I'm John. This has been coffee and consoles. Thanks for listening. If you would, please give us some feedback at coffee and consoles at gmail.com and leave us a five star rating on whatever platform you stream this on helps please people do. find the show. Yes, please do. And we are also on Instagram if you're on the gram and feel like, uh, you know, shooting us a message on there t- as well. Please do. All That's right. it for this week. I think that'll do it, my friend. Till next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>